T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I don't consider the Cavs, like Tim, I don't consider them NBA Finals contenders yet. And the reason being is you there's just certain steps that I have to see you consistently clear. And the number one thing is I can't say you're going to go to the NBA Finals and have a chance to win it until you actually go out there and, like, win a playoff series. So I, I there's a part of me that thinks if you have a first-round series against a seven seed, if you are the two seed, and you just roll, like you sweep them, it's going to be tough to put the genie back in the bottle when it comes to expectations. I think I think one of the best benefits of potentially being the two seed is you are going to probably get another young team like Orlando, who you play tonight and kick off the second half of the NBA season on, and that's just going to give you a, a softer launch into the playoffs. Yet you, it was a tough draw last year because Tom Thibodeau has been in the playoffs a lot in his career as a head coach, and guys like Jalen Brunson – and in a few other other guys, they did have some playoff experience on their roster, and and their style of play in terms of their physicality and and their ability to shut you down defensively, like those were things that made that a really tough first round matchup. And you then just didn't play your best game, and you ran out of steam, and you weren't ready for the moment. So like I do think one of the true advantages of being the two seed is you at least have an easier path to that second round. And then the second round, I think you really find out who you are. But I, I think, and I don't I don't want to make it seem like I'm saying this about Tim's analysis because I think I hear it in the NBA. The NBA is very much a superstar-driven league. The NBA is very much a wing-driven league. And because of that, I think, I think, I think NBA analysts look at this and go, well, they don't have a dominant wing. And they don't have a guy that is definitively a top 10 player in the NBA, no matter if Donovan's the 11th best player in the NBA or not. But Donovan does not get superstar love. He gets star love. He gets, oh, yeah, he's really good. But he doesn't get, like, when the kind of just the, the pass that Kevin Durant does. The the Suns, the super team of the Suns has not been good. They, they have not lived up to expectations. But... I saw today, I think it was uh, Tim Legler, called them one of the five title contenders in the NBA. And it's like, what have you watched? Like, yeah, hypothetically, you get Kevin Durant in a seven-game series, you get Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal and all these, and Devin Booker, yeah, hypothetically, but the problem is they haven't done diddly squad compared to what they could have done in the regular season. But, but Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and Bradley Beal, they've passed the test. It, it's more about Booker and Durant, by the way. But those guys, okay, well, they're wings and they're superstars. Okay. Yep, they're NBA title contenders. 
So I think the Cavs, optically, no one's going to say the Cavs are NBA title contenders until they force you to believe it. In a way, I actually compare them to the Golden State Warriors before the Golden State Warriors broke through in 2015. No one took the Warriors seriously. Yeah, oh, that's a great story. That They won a bunch of regular season games because they play hard, but you can't shoot that kind of three ball And in the postseason. The game, the game changes too much in the postseason. Now, what ended up giving out is they were phenomenally defensively and lethal with the three-point, and there was a run there where people forget Draymond shot about 35 36% over three years that completely elevated what they were able to do. And then they had guys like Iguodala, and then they had guys, I mean, they just cycled in guys that just were kind of the perfect fit for what they did. But, like, nobody gave the Warriors a chance to win the NBA Finals probably until Kyrie Irving got hurt. And even then, that second year, like, they went out and won 73 games and there were still murmurs. Well, but if the Cavs were full strength, people forget. When the Cavs won, even though the Cavs came back from 3-1, well, see, this is what happens when you have a, a super team going up against a really nice team. Like, guys, they there was doubt in the NBA cycle. No matter the fact that Steph was an MVP, no matter that Clay might be the most underrated second-best player on a championship team in NBA history, it is comical how people have forgotten how lethal Clay was and how important he was to unlocking the best in Steph Curry because of his length and, and defense. And like there were so many reasons why Golden State was valid, but they didn't fit the archetype. So everything they did, they had to earn and then some. And then they added Kevin Durant, and then they're the greatest team ever in NBA history. Well, but you won 73 games. Yeah, you lost the NBA Finals. You still have all the, but now you got Kevin Durant. That's just how the NBA works. And I think the biggest thing working against the Cavs, and and this is now turning into just a tangent, I don't think anyone's going to take the Cavs seriously post-LeBron until they actually go out there and pull the sword from the stone. I think, I, I th- and this is and this becomes the, the third part of this, which is there's no league that is hornier for big markets than the NBA. And it's just, it's the way it's been. Ever since, and it wasn't always this way, guys. My, my personal theory is it happened when the Lakers and the Celtics took over the NBA in the 1980s, and you've had guys like Bill Simmons screaming from the rooftops about how the NBA's better when the Celtics and Lakers are, are kings. And here's the thing. There's enough people that have bought into that. Never mind that the Chicago Bulls, who've had one legitimately amazing run in their entire, in their entire run, the first 30 years, sorry, the first 20 years before Michael Jordan, not a lot. Not great, Bob. It was Artemis uh, Gilmore and the Bulls drug dealer. Those were the highlights of the first 20 years. Look at the look at the post-Jordan years. That is an iconic run of a franchise that, yes, it's big market, but outside of the Jordan run is not known to be a, oh, what a prestigious team. Nope. But people don't think about that. They don't think about LeBron's run in Cleveland. They think Lakers, they think Celtics. I think the Heat have become this way. Now the Warriors have become this way. Uh, the Knicks have all, I mean, the national media has, oh, well, anytime the Knicks get good, it's like when Texas gets good in football or Miami Hurricanes get good in college football. Well, are the Knicks back? Well, but they don't have a Kevin Durant. That's the only, as a matter of fact, that's the only team it doesn't matter if you don't have a Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, or Giannis. It's the only team. So I look at this, and I do think, like, the narratives that go against the, the Cavs 
it is, well, you don't have a, a generational wing. You don't have, you've got two undersized combo guards. And look what happened with Dame and, and, and they, hey, Portland, Cleveland, similar markets, right? And then you get to the third part. Everybody references, well, what have you ever done without LeBron? But because you are not in Chicago, now it's weaponized against you. And some of that is cynicism about the Gilbert ownership, which is fair until proven otherwise. They didn't fire anybody this year, which is pretty impressive because they could have fired guys like three times. But I think so much of what I hear is, yeah, okay. Yeah, they're nice. It's okay. I think some of that is you're comparing it against the one most obvious thing. In L.A., there are too many great runs. You got Shaq and Kobe. You got, um, you know, you got Magic and Kareem, right? You've got um, uh, Kareem when he was first there. You've got the Wilt Chamberlain run. You've got Jerry West. Like, you have so many runs with Kobe and Powell. You've got so many runs, even like even LeBron and AD. That's eh, just a bubble championship. Huh? They won an NBA title. What do you do? Well, but he's not a real Laker yet. What if, what the hell are you talking about? So in, in LA, there are too many things to point to. There are too many shiny objects and trophies to point to, to, to go ahead and weaponize that against the organization. It's been proven they can win too many times. In Cleveland, it is, yeah, LeBron, what have you ever done? And so I think that does shade the perspective of, yeah, they're just, they're, they're, they're happy to be there. Yeah, they're the two seed, but they're not an NBA title contender. And the one for one, and, and I, I understood what, what Tim was saying, but I do think people across the NBA, including Tim, have been too freaking hard on Evan Mobley. And I agree with the, the overarching sentiment, which is if they're ever going to win an NBA title in the next five years without LeBron James, and with this current cast, however it's going to look around Evan Mobley, it'll be because of Evan Mobley. This year, you want to make the NBA Finals, Evan Mobley taking over and in the NBA playoffs, that's a huge way to get to fast-track yourself to the NBA Finals. Doesn't guarantee you win in the Finals, but like that guy taking a gigantic step in a half season is huge for them contending. Three, whether it's two years from now, three years from now, this year, five years from now, them, him, it's, it's on him. And when he's ready, and he might be young, guys, but I think that's my frustration. Like, Tim was comparing Evan Mobley to Scotty Barnes. I really like Scotty Barnes, a hell of a basketball player. What outs, what are, how are their situations similar other than their third-year players? Like, Evan Mobley has to share the ball and share the offense and, and figure out how to be a transcendent offensive player with Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland next to him while sharing the lane and sharing similar spots on the court with another all-star level player in Jared Allen. Scotty Barnes can just go up and jack up 15 threes a game because Toronto ain't winning. They're not trying to win. And they just traded Pascal Siakam and damn near everybody else on their roster. So I'm not impressed that Scotty Barnes is attempting five three-pointers a game because who else is going to take those shots? So I and I don't mean to say this about what Tim thinks because he's valid. He watches as much NBA. The man is he has earned his bones as a NBA analyst, NBA writer. But how outside of the fact they're a third-year players are they similar stories? If Evan Mobley didn't have. Darius or Donovan to 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 wrestle the ball from him, 
it might be easier. Those shots might come to him more realistic or more uh, more early in his career. But since his second year in the NBA, he has been contending with two ball dominant guards in an offense that's not helped either guard until this year or Evan or Jared. So, yeah, Scotty Barnes had a good third year jump. I'm not buying. Well, Scotty Barnes did it, so Evan Mobley should. Contextually, Evan is in a tougher situation to make that jump, and it is on Evan. Inevitably, it is on Evan to to unlock the best version of himself. But the idea that, well, but look what Scotty Barnes did. Look at what player C did. Guys, it's not the same. Evan's trying to win. The Cavs are trying to win, and Evan's trying to take that big jump. It's a hell of a lot harder than I think, well, this guy in a non-winning situation. He, he did it, so why can't you? I think the answer is pretty damn obvious. I can't pick a fight with someone in the national media, but it's not our next guest. Uh, he is Yahoo Sports senior NBA writer on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Dan Devine joins us now. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to find out that I'm not the national media member getting a, fought, a fight picked with them. That's good to know. It'll be a, a, an awkward start to the interview. Well, I just I, I I thought about well maybe I should just start one just to throw them off you know always you're always trying to like <laughs> make your make your guest either comfortable or uncomfortable to get the best answer and then I was like nah Dan's a good guy I don't want to I don't want I don't want to start beef with Dan because I feel like if I start beef with you everyone's gonna be like what an a hole this guy must be. Well, I mean, my, my brand is like oh, uh, overwhelming kindness. So, yeah, you, you're picking a fight with the wrong guy. I'd be like, listen, man, I get it. I don't like me that much either. So I, w- I wouldn't blame you. Uh, Dan, looking to the Cavaliers here, I, I'm curious whether you see the Cavs as a legit two seed in the Eastern Conference or feel as if they're the two seed or could be the two seed simply because the Bucks and Sixers have, di- have been disappointing. I mean, there's some truth to that. Obviously, the Bucks have been, uh, you know, uh, have been a frustrating kind of mystery. Uh, you look at them and say, like, are you the team that's, you know, 35 and 21 and has an MVP candidate and like an All NBA point guard, or are you the team that's got the point differential of like a 46 or 47 win team and can't seem to get both its offense and defense playing well at the same time for more than like a game or two in a row? Um, and then obviously the Sixers with Embiid's injury that sort of upset their apple cart, and then a whole host of other injuries around that too. Like half their rotation's been gone. Same as the Knicks, right? Um, but that said, like the Cavs don't have to apologize for their own success in that regard, and they went through their own ma- like massive spate of injuries, losing half of their starting lineup uh, for an extended period of time. And Cleveland, I think, is to be commended for the way that. You know, the sort of uh, circled the wagons and rallied around during that period, and the, and the identity that has sort of grown out of that. Um, you know, Donovan Mitchell playing maybe the best basketball he's ever played uh, when you factor in the defensive end of the floor and how he's performed on both ends. And the fact that there's like the things that the, that the Cavs struggled so much with last season, last postseason especially in that first round series against the Knicks, with the, the perimeter shooting, with the complementary pieces around Mitchell and Garland, with the way that uh, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley were performing, 
And with the, the rebounding, obviously, the defensive rebounding in particular, keeping the Knicks off the glass, all that stuff the Cavs are better at now. Like, they've just become, they have strengthened their weaknesses and also sharpened some of their strengths, like augmented the way that Mitchell is able to get downhill off the bounce, the way that Allen is, is rolling to the rim, the way that they've, uh, J.B. Bickerstaff has increased the staggering between the Mitchell-Allen uh, group and then Garland and Mobley and, you know, activating more guys off the bench. There's just more live options. So, I mean, the Cavs, it's, I mean, everybody's going to say, like, it remains to be seen. Like, I'll need to see it to believe it in the playoffs. But everything the Cavs have done to this point is answer the questions that, or, you know, everyone had about them. And, like, that's kind of all you can do. Do you see this year as the start of their window with Donovan Mitchell or the potential closing of it? Every national guy with a, a data plan says the latter, right? Uh, but, I mean, I don't know. Like, all you can do is take people at their word until their actions tell you something different. And I, like, there's, Donovan Mitchell is playing like a guy who has no interest in going someplace else. He's performing like someone who feels like he's got a real shot at something here, not somebody who's trying to kind of, like, uh, you know, look for the exit door and give 50% effort on the way out there. You know, we, we've seen superstars do that, and Donovan Mitchell is, is going the other way. He seems to be going 100 miles per hour toward what this Cavs team can be. So, to me, I look at it and say, and, and I think the, the performance over the last, like since mid-December particularly, if I'm the Cavs, I look at that and say, this is a guy that we have to build around. This is a guy that we really want to ori- orient this whole thing around. Like, if you needed to make a move you know, to break up the core in some way, and I'm not saying they do. I'm not saying that Kobe Altman in that front office is looking at it and saying, well, we've got this you know, financial crunch coming or these contracts are going to uh, come up at the same time and that's going to be an issue for us. But I think the, the play of Donovan Mitchell since mid-December, where he's really kind of vaulted himself up into that lo- the lower reaches of the MVP conversation, that leads me to think, like, instead of thinking we've got to move him for value while we can, I'd be more comfortable going the other way and saying, this is the guy we need to, like, put, you know, go all in on, you know, and, and see if, he, if he's comfortable and he's willing uh, to, to kind of marry long term. Obviously, there's, there's a reason, you know, there are many financial reasons why it doesn't make sense for him to do that right now when he can uh, extend for a much bigger number in an extra year uh, after, the, after the season. But, like, th- he is performing. Like, uh, like the standard bearer you want from your number one guy. Um, and so, I mean, you'd like to believe that if a guy is doing that, he's also not looking for uh, his next chapter at the same time. Dan, you mentioned uh, the media's kink of uh, making sure that, to let everybody <laughs> know that Donovan Mitchell is a short-timer in Cleveland. I- I'm curious how much of that has to do with Cleveland. Like, if he had gotten traded to Chicago or Houston, or Dallas, do you think that that same dead-set mentality would be in place about Donovan Mitchell's future? I think it's less about him getting traded to Cleveland and more about him being born close to New York. I think, like, if he, if he was born in Baltimore, I don't know that we'd be having the same conversation about going to the Wizards. You know, I think it, it, it's more about, like, there was the, the sort of direct line connecting where he grew up and the teams that he, or the, the area he grew up in, uh, you know, his dad working for the Mets, and everyone's heard the stories, you know. So I think that's what it is. And then anytime it, you know, the New York market becomes kind of attached to a story like that, uh, it, it grows legs and it gets sunk in a little bit more. So uh, I think, I mean, the Cavs become 
become it's sort of easy to look past from a national perspective when LeBron James is not playing for them. But the Cavs have done the, you know, have, have done their best to wrench the spotlight in their direction with the way they've built over these last few years by nailing the trade to bring in Jared Allen, by going and getting Karis LeVert, by the, the 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 moves to draft Darius Garland and stick with them through that really rough rookie season to get Evan Mobley and like to build that core to to where you're right within you know, sort of striking distance of being you know, pretty competitive, pretty solid, and a really good team before injury struck them a couple seasons ago to where you can make a big swing move like the one for Donovan Mitchell. So, I mean, whether the, the, uh, the eyes of the sort of newsbreaker class are always going to kind of glaze over when the Cavs uh, you know, become a topic of conversation – you know that's that you know that may be and that might not, might never change but the Cavs as a basketball like a serious basketball enterprise have done pretty much everything they can do to uh you know mitigate any issues uh, that might arise from the market size well now I'm down this rabbit hole if Donovan Mitchell was averaging the same points per game that he's averaging and was the 2 seed in New York would he be uh, a a a stronger contender for MVP right now I mean, you'd probably hear hear louder talk about it for sure. Um, I don't know if anybody is going to be able to crack into that top, you know, two or three where you've got Nikola Jokic, you've got Shea Gildas Alexander, and you've got Giannis Antetokounmpo. Maybe Luka Doncic is in that in that situation too. So I think kind of at most guys are playing for third, fourth, you know, down market there a little bit when when he was healthy, he was up at the top of that list, but. You know, Brunson, Jalen Brunson had a moment where he was generating that kind of attention when the Knicks were white hot. Uh, Donovan Mitchell got a, you know, some of that discussion with the Cavs being red hot right heading into the break. And if it continues and persists and the Cavs continue to, you know, make their way up, I mean, they're, they're probably not going up and catching Boston because they, you know, ran away to and, and hid to six, uh, a six-game cushion. But he keeps performing like this and the Cavs keep it up. I mean, the drumbeat will get louder, but you're absolutely right to note, like, it gets loud. It gets even louder still in certain areas. Like the joke on the or the the, the object example of this is, OG Anunoby goes from being a Toronto Raptor to being a New York Nick, and then all of a sudden it's like, wait, is he in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation? And a lot of that just comes down to yeah, you know what the name on this on the front of the jersey says. Dan Devine on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline, Yahoo Sports senior NBA writer here. Uh, so much talk about Evan Mobley's third year. You know, at the beginning of the season, before the injury, it was he's been a disappointment because his numbers haven't taken a big jump offensively and the, the, the shooting numbers, three-point shooting. Now, small sample size, but coming off the injury, he's really shooting the ball really well. He's shooting 41% on, I think, uh, attempt or an attempt and a half a game. I'm just curious, when we start to, like, forecast down the road, Evan keeps shooting these threes, or Evan doesn't, or Evan kind of continues to develop that shot on into the playoffs. What do you see as the difference between the Cavs ceiling this year if Evan keeps shooting these shots and grows that over the final you know, 30 regular season games into the playoffs and him not doing that? What, what's the difference for the Cavs ceiling? T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. 
Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The, I mean, the biggest difference is that if he is able to become a... not I mean, the accuracy obviously is, is great, but the willingness might even be more important. If he's able to become somebody who takes those shots at some volume and is a legitimate threat from the perimeter, whether that's from the corners or picking and popping, it makes the, the pairing of Mobley and Jared Allen so much more tenable because, like, think back to that Knicks series where the Knicks were just able to completely clog the paint because they knew that every time that Donovan, uh, Donovan Mitchell came off the screen, no matter who the screener was, the other big guy was, not, was either you know, rolling or hanging out in the dunker spot or in the short corner, not really spacing the floor, and so the Knicks defenders could just leave him alone out there. And they could cl- you know, clog the paint and not worry at all about the ball going out to that guy and that guy making a shot. So... The, the, the incremental changes and the adjustments, like even Jared Allen taking some more mid-range jumpers this season or having a little bit more sauce when he gets the ball in the middle of the floor and can actually make a dribble move and go to the basket, like that stuff all helps. But Mobley being somebody who could actually space the floor out to the three-point line, draw a closeout and a hard contest, like that would open up the, the, just the geometry of the floor. Anything that can make it a little bit more difficult for you to pack the paint, for you to sag off shooters against the Cavs, then creates wider open driving lanes for Darius Garland, for Donovan Mitchell, makes it easier for those guys to get into the paint you know, comp- uh, compromise the defense, force uh, a rotation, and then all of a sudden you're kicking out to open shooters. And now, with the construction of this Cavs team, those open shooters are guys like Max Struess or George Niang or Sam Merrill or a new, you know, increasingly confident and competent Isaac Okoro. Like, there's a, a, just a higher class of option catching and shooting those shots. And if Mobley becomes one of those kinds of guys, and all of a sudden you've got everything he can do rolling to the rim, you've got everything he can do where he's able to post up against smaller guys on a mismatch or a switch. Obviously he's not like a brute down there, but he can shoot over the top of those guys, and he's got good touch. You've got what he can do as a playmaker connecting in the middle of the floor, and you've got to worry about him shooting the ball or, if you close out, beating that, putting it on the deck, and getting to the basket. He becomes so much more of a difficult player to guard individually, and the Cavs become so much more difficult of a team to guard collectively, to say nothing of the fact that like, it's easier to keep just two bigs on the floor, which is obviously the whole defensive identity that J.B. Bickerstaff has wanted to build. So long-term, that is a, like, a gigantic swing skill for Mobley uh, individually and the Cavs as a whole. And then over the course of the next couple of months here, it just would make the Cavs an even more formidable opponent in a playoff series. Dan, we are uh, exactly two weeks removed from the NBA trade deadline. The Cavs didn't make a move, and I think everybody in Cleveland was okay with that given the state of their roster. But the Warriors have now leaked out that they tried to trade for LeBron. Uh, they 
targeted and had talks about Deontay Murray and Pascal Siakam. I'm pretty sure every player that was moved or could have been moved or had talks about at the moves, the Warriors have now leaked that they had at least talked about. I'm, why are the Warriors so damn concerned about everybody knowing the players they could have or at least thought about trading for the deadline? Well, here's the you know the official caveat, the you know public statement of you know we don't know for sure who leaked <laughs> what to whom and where things came from. You know we don't know that for sure. Um, what I would say is, when you employ Stephen Curry, you need to be all in all the time, right? He is the kind of player that merits that kind of approach. Uh, same as you know when you know you guys remember it well, LeBron James. When you have a guy at that level in terms of both the present tense quality and the way he that he can uh, lift a team on his back and also just all-time stature, if you are not all in all the time, then you are going to be out of that business. Now, um, you need to show and prove that you are willing to compete at all times. And that's, uh, you know, I was before we got on, I was reading uh, Baxter Holmes' piece in ESPN this morning about where Joe Lacob is on the record saying, you know, we're not going to be just some other team. Like, we're not just going to, like, lay idly by. We're going to keep going for it. That has sort of been the brand of the Lacob ownership uh, era in, in Golden State. And it's, you know, worked out pretty well, generally speaking. But they've obviously also had a big detour into that, you know, quote-unquote two timelines era where they tried to find the bridge to the future and they thought it would be James Wiseman and Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga. And it looks like they have, at least they feel like they went one for three. Moses Moody doesn't seem to get a whole lot of run and uh, maybe he should get more of it. But, you know, they, they, oh, they have a, an aging trio of legends, one of whom is still, you know, one of the ten best players in the league, and then the other two guys are not. And, you know, Clay Thompson has, has missed, he missed two full seasons due to devastating injuries. For him to be back playing like he, at, at even the level he's at now is remarkable in context. And then Draymond Green, who remains one of the best defenders in the world when he's getting on the court and he's able to stay there uh, through his, you know, his own fault. Um, so, I mean, they, they need to be showing, like, we're, we're not content being the 10 seed just trying to skate into the play-in tournament. We believe we should be, uh, you know, promote, uh, pushing ourselves up the standings. We need to be trying and going to improve and whatever costs will do. The other side of that, though, is, like, I, mean, I think, I think their, their total roster in terms of salary and taxes this year, I think they're paying, like, $400 million for what is now, like, a 500 team, and that's just that's not going to be good enough. If that's a, a, as high as they can get in terms of they didn't make, ma- make major moves at the deadline, I think all they did was get off of Corey Joseph and so they cut their tax bill somewhat. You know, so they, they've got to be good enough with what they've got right now. And there are some positive signs for them. Kaminga's been good in the starting lineup. Brandon Pajemski, they've, you know, Steve Kerr made the difficult decision to start bringing Clay Thompson off the bench for the first time since, I think, his rookie year. So, they, you know, they're trending in a positive direction. But, yeah, the, 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 it starts to get loud when you're not as good as you need to be and you have an all-timer who deserves uh, something better than that. Dan, uh, Doc Rivers has coached the Bucks for 10 games. He's won three, uh, 30% of those games, and then he spent the entire All-Star break uh, basically becoming basketball Jesus. That he's, They doesn't know why the Bucks <laughs> fired Adrian Griffin despite him being around that conversation. He, wa- he wanted to take a year off. Oh, and apparently he knew Shea Gilgis-Alexander was going to score 30 points a game. I'm just curious. I, I mean this in all sincerity. Does Doc Rivers actually want to coach the Milwaukee Bucks, or was he just looking for a $40 million golden parachute? I mean, he, 
it's the thing that, that struck me most in all those things was him saying, like, I don't know why you guys are coming to talk to me about this. Like, like he seemed flummoxed that the Bucks <laughs> were reaching out to him. You know, to Graham Talbot. I mean, if somebody walked up to you and said, "Here's forty million dollars for you know at what what would be at, at a minimum like you know a few a couple of months of work." Like, to argue with it, you know, it seems like one of the only things that would be a sweeter deal than, you know, the, the lucrative deal that he had at ESPN, uh, ESPN to be part of that coverage. But, I mean, yeah, it's not like you, you, get, you get an opportunity to coach all-time talent, which, you know, that's been Doc's, you know, very understandable as a smart MO. If you're going to coach a team, you want it to be coaching a team with Hall of Fame talent. And you walk into a team that was already pretty damn good. Uh, with the expectation that you can get him above there and then immediately kind of undercut those expectations and say, this is going to be the hardest thing I've ever had to do, taking over a team midseason and then getting it sort of pointed in the right direction and then follow that up by saying, like, uh, you know, yeah, we, we had some guys on the way to Cabo for the last game before the, 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 the All-Star break. And, you know, I don't, yeah, then as you mentioned, all the things that he was saying during the All-Star break, it doesn't seem like he's super thrilled <laughs> about doing this. Um, I imagine he gets a lot happier on the 1st and 15th. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's an odd set of circumstances. You've got all that going on. You've got Giannis giving a uh, really interesting interview to The Athletic where he's saying it's like it's Dame's team and he's riding with Dame to the end. And he's got to do more, but all like again, like it's Dame's team. I think they're a pretty, they're to me the biggest like question mark X factor in the East. We know, as we mentioned, we know that the the Celtics kind of ran away with or running away with the number one seed. The Cavs have put themselves in really strong position for number two. That whole mix there, where it's the Bucks, the Knicks with all their injuries, the Sixers with Embiid's injury, uh, you know, the Pacers down below them, but you know they've just got Siakam and Tyrese Halliburton healthy again. Like that whole collection of teams, Miami, which they can ever get all their guys on the court at the same time somebody's going to sort of rise out of that group and, and mount a real serious challenge. It feels like the Bucks should be that team because none of those teams have Giannis, especially with Embiid being out. But, man, they, they seem like they're, they're still trying to get all their ducks in a row in a way that makes me wonder if all those guys are just going to start swimming in their own separate directions. Well, if any other coaches want, to, want somebody to poorly coach for three months and give them $40 million, you tell them to come find me. Dan, great stuff, buddy. Love the energy. Love the, the mindset here. Really appreciate your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Dan Devine there, Yahoo Sports, senior NBA writer on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. I think I've just decided, because I think there are two camps. One, there is, you're worried it's not real, so you're not going to have expectations, right? Two, you think it's real, but you don't know for sure, and expectations to, turn to try, tend to ruin the fun. I kind of look at it a different angle, which is I say, I think this team is in a much better spot than last year. And I think I, I still have my concerns, but I should. Until this team wins a playoff series, it's okay to say, I think they can do dot, 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 but we've got to see them at least execute the basics, which is showing up to a playoff series and delivering the goods. And I don't think it's, you know, I, I made the, the point earlier about, man, it'd be nice to get that two seed because you get a, a week seven seed and it just gives you a little bit more time to get comfortable in the playoffs. At some point, the Cavs have to show you that they can play in a playoff series with playoff intentions. And teams like the Boston Celtics go into every one of those series with the intention of winning an NBA title. You have to learn that. I tend to think, well, get an easier first-round matchup, then maybe a moderate second-round matchup, 
And then you really have to kind of be ready by the time you face the Celtics. Because I think you, whoever comes out of the ones, I, I think the Celtics are going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals. So I think it is, all right, which one of the other six teams, I know that there are going to be eight playoff teams, but which one of the six teams that actually could win a playoff series, who's actually going to do it? Who's going to do the thing and and face Boston? Could it be that that, that, that team's a sacrificial lamb? Yep, it could be. But it doesn't have to be. And the Cavs, just as much as anyone, maybe not the Bucks, because the Bucks with Lillard and, and Giannis, they should be able to figure this out. It's honestly kind of a disgrace how the Bucks portrayed themselves, including their head coach, over the, the All-Star uh, break. It was embarrassing. If I was the Bucks ownership or Bucks leadership, I would be furious with how Giannis talked about being at the the deadline, uh, how Doc Rivers comported himself, um, and again, that left me the only logical conclusion that Doc Rivers saw forty million dollar paycheck and said, "Let's go ahead and tank this thing and let's get let's get fired." Hey, it's not going to kill my uh, my bona fides as an NBA coach. I need that forty million dollar retirement golden parachute. I, I hope that's not the case. Like that's the worst thing you could do. But I mean. <laughs> That was that was embarrassing. Doc going out there and saying things like, I don't know why they fired Adrian Griffin when Doc was the coaching consultant that was supposed to help Adrian Griffin become a better head coach. And a lot of people feel like all Doc did was sabotage Adrian Griffin. And then to go, I don't know why they fired him, which makes you look uh, a phony. And then to say, I don't know why they called me um, which makes you look like a phony when you were consulting the thing in the first place and then goes, ah, I didn't really want to coach us here anyways. Like, I just got to say, like, that. my biggest doubt about Milwaukee now is whether they have everything they need to just get out of their own way. In the end, Giannis is Giannis. In the end, Dame Lillard is Dame Lillard. Like, the defensive stuff's real, right? Um, unlocking Dame and Giannis at the same time offensively, real. But all that all that stuff kind of tends to work itself out. You can you can go ahead and build that roster better around both guys. Man, if your coach is actively hurting you, because I think we do this thing where the coach doesn't matter. I think the coach matters in the NBA when your team when you have a elite coach and when you have an awful coach. I think the Bucks. I, I think it's really tough to to overcome an awful coach. Say everything I have about JB Bickerstaff. Whether he's a fit or not going forward, he's not an awful coach. I don't think he's an elite coach. That's got to be proven. But, man, I got to tell you, that that Buck situation is I, – I, I all of a sudden don't think they can fix it. And we could get five games into the second half and I could be wrong. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. 
Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.